Thank you for tuning in to the Just Leave Show. I'm your host, Herbie Mack. The show is geared to mental health awareness and suicide prevention. If you are struggling or looking for some resources, check the show notes. I have some down there. Also, don't forget to leave a review. I'm hoping five stars. With that being said, sit back and enjoy the show. Thank you for tuning in to the Just Believe Show. I'm your host, Herbie Mack. Today I'm on it. I have a phenomenal guest in Daryl Glaze. He is a addiction expert, motivational coach, and recovery speaker. You know, for myself, I battled with addiction, and it was kind of hard to navigate on my own. And I do have some tips, but you know what? I wanted to bring an expert on to not only talk about the signs of it, how to, you know, navigate somebody through it. Like, hey, you know, this is a resource that you can use, but also how can I support them afterwards or just even along that journey? Daryl not only provided those tips and whatnot, he also opened up and shared his story that led him to become this expert. I had an amazing time with him, hoping that you enjoy the episode. And here we go. Herbie, I'm doing outstanding, man. Thank you for having me on the show. I truly appreciate it. Oh, anytime, man. Thanks for doing this, man. I know when it comes to addiction, it's something that I struggled with for years. I was a functional alcoholic for about 11 years or so. And I didn't realize I had a problem. I didn't realize I had a problem until I, until I checked into the mental health facility, aka the behavior health center. And I was having like withdrawals for, for liquor. And it was just like, man, not only was I having withdrawal, but when I was writing, like I, I do a lot of journaling. And for me, it was something that I realized, like I kept writing Hennessy a lot, <laughs> like a lot. And it was just like, man, if it wasn't Hennessy I was writing, it was Patron. And I realized okay. I had a problem. So I was like, yo, I, I have to do something. And, you know, for me, I did the cold turkey route. I realized that I am not my addiction. My my addiction doesn't define who I am. And I know for my listeners, that that might be a bit extreme for someone to try cold turkey. So I was like, you know what? Let me reach out to you because I know this is what you do and whatnot. So let's get into your story and whatnot. Let's introduce you. So go ahead, buddy. Well, once again, thank you for having me on the show. My name is Daryl Glaze. I'm a motivational coach and addiction recovery expert. And uh, I didn't get here just because yeah, I thought it was a cool thing to do. I got here because I had to come to a realization. And I'll start, I'll start with my story. Uh, I grew up on the south side of Chicago originally. Um, was a you know lived there for years. Uh, grew up in a home with a with basically single back in those days. You know, in the in the uh, mid '60s and, and early '70s, it was more of uh, you you may have been in a single parent home, but for a lot of cases, you had grandma there too. So I grew up in a home with both mom and grandma there, and uh, they were responsible for raising me as a black man. And uh, you know, in which necessity what does which wasn't necessarily an easy thing to do, especially since there was a separation in our lives. And the separation in our lives was the fact that I stayed in a foster home uh, from the age of four to the age of nine. Uh, and uh, that caused a huge separation. I would see my mother like maybe every weekend or every other weekend, but I stayed in this foster family home, which had about, which was a, in a duplex, which had about somewhere to put about 18 to 19 kids in it. 
And in that process, back in those days, you know, foster homes and things weren't really regulated. So it was like, look, if you could take if you could take this joke off the street, you know, let's let's go with that. So that's kind of like how it was. It was kind of like a, a more like a glorified babysitter, if you want. But the thing that was interesting about it is that in that process, uh, there was a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and a lot of me being wanting to be distant. But the thing I developed most in that in that area. Well, separation, uh, separation and also hiding. I got real good at hiding things. I got good at hiding my emotions. I got hot, good at hiding my affections. And most importantly, I got good at hiding homework because I tell people all the time. And uh, in that process, uh, I began to develop how I'd learn, take that, that, that new skill of hiding things and would hide it in certain areas of my life with lies and deceptions and things of that nature. Well, fast forward as I was able to come back home and then as I began to get into my early teenage years, uh, a good buddy of mine, his brother actually taught us the skill of smoking weed. And that was a whole nother deal for me. And and uh, the thing that was interesting is that I really didn't enjoy weed as much as I enjoyed alcohol. I actually, the reason or the way I started drinking alcohol was that uh, I remember the day back in the old days and, you know, old folks used to do this, but, you know, you want your kids to go to bed early, especially during Christmas, you know, and everybody wanted to drink eggnog. You you put a little spike in that thing, man. And, uh, and you know, I was, you know you, you, you're in it for about maybe five, 10 minutes and then you're out like, light you know so you know that was kind of that was kind of a contributor it led me to going back and sneaking into my sneaking in my grandmother's bedroom and you know tipping a little bit of the crown royal that she used to keep on out by her bed out by her by her chair in the bedroom so i used to do that and that kind of led to as i got older to start wanting a desire to drink more and harder liquor i was never much into beer but i was more into like the hard liquor Fast forward from there, what began to happen is that I realized I needed to change, but there was a but the stuff that I had been masking, the the emotional, the the the, the issues were my anger and things like that that were developing on a regular basis. Those are things that I was trying to hide. So as I was an adult, now living in Minnesota, uh, you know, and I would I would pull disappearing acts whenever things got to be too tight. Whether I got it, got I was in a job and I lost my job, or whether I was in a relationship and that went bad, I always found ways to heal by grabbing alcohol and running this way or into a certain relationship that was also even more devastating than the last one. And it just was this perpetual cycle. I would disappear, then show up, disappear. I would disappear for anywhere from being two weeks to one time I was gone for two and a half years. And, uh, you know, in the process, because and the biggest thing was and in this process is that it was something that I just didn't want to bring to the forefront. Uh, interestingly enough, not too long ago, I had a I had a, a dinner with a couple of years ago now with a, with a couple of cousins who I grew up with. And we were real close. We were more like brothers. And <clears throat> the question came up about one of our other cousins who is who had a huge major and still to this day battling addictions and. Uh, and how he would go around and try to borrow money from, from family, breaking the houses of family members, all kind of stuff. And I said, I said, see, that's one of the reasons why I never brought my addiction out and I just disappeared. Because even in my dysfunction, I didn't want to hurt anybody. 
And that was a that was a piece that a lot of, that a lot of people don't understand. Even when I explained it to them today, it was like, well, most of the time when you're in addiction, man, you hurt people. How come you didn't want to go out? You know, how come you wasn't you know like a bull in a tire shop? I was, but I was in a totally different way. I didn't hurt the people who were close to me because I didn't want them to know what I was dealing with. Okay, so so literally, I got to a point where I I wound up. I know I needed help, so I checked myself into a 45 day program. Uh, and I was, I was one of those rare occasions where a guy goes into a program, he's one and done. Going to one program, you're all done, and, and you don't have an issue anymore. And that's kind of why I was for me. However, the thing that I did not realize is that I had a, I had a deeper problem, and it was my anger issue, it was my emotional outburst uh, issues that were going on on a regular basis. That was bigger and became bigger than the actual addicted to alcohol. And... It was definitely something that I later I, that I, I understood later on, and it had to do a lot with mental illness and some of the issues that I was dealing with, separation from my mom back when I was in the foster home, to not having to having my dad inconsistently in my life, uh, to a lot of other things and traumas that I experienced throughout the way, but didn't identify them as traumas because back in those days you didn't talk about that stuff. It stays in okay? his house. Was, what happens in his house stays in his house. Exactly. I mean, we had that slogan before Vegas, you know what I'm saying? So it was so you knew that it's like, you know, we don't we don't, we don't talk about this, you know, and I, and it's not like I grew up in a, in a I mean, growing up on South Side of Chicago it wasn't like I was in this real poor neighborhood. I was in a working a literally a working class neighborhood. You know, people went to work every day. They came home every day. We had few people that were doing 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 stuff that they you know do that, but people do. You know, whether it was using or selling drugs, whatever the case may be. But the majority of people in the neighborhood actually worked, and everybody had their issues. Whether you you know whether you had domestic assault going on in one house or people drinking too much in another house, everybody had their own issues and whatever they were coping with or dealing with. But no matter what, it was always considered to be hidden and nobody yeah. ever brought it out into the light. So that's how that, that was a, the, the message that we that we understood and knew and we didn't go down that road. So when I decided to get this thing done, I, I literally went off and started building a career in, 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 in both uh, the mortgage industry and the banking industry and a couple of other things. I had a couple of businesses and what have you uh, in the process and, you know, it kind of failed and things of that nature. But I kept going on. I never went back too much to that addiction of using, of losing alcohol again. However, the emotional issues did not subside. And that was the thing that actually cost my first marriage because of my own emotional issues, because of my own outburst and anger to the point where she said this was too much for me to handle, gotta go. So, uh, so that went that went down that road. Never dealt with it uh, until later on in life. I started actually talking with somebody and started sharing about some of the things that I've been dealing with, and that literally led me to get into the addiction field, uh, which was a, which is a, interesting in itself. Uh, literally going through that process uh, of going into the addiction field. That was not something that if somebody would have told me, hey, you're going to be working with people who struggle with drug addicts, I would have said, I don't know what you're smoking, but that ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and I was just very, very candid about that. But now I've been doing this for over 20 years. Uh, I get the opportunity to see men and women grow. Uh, you know, there's a lot of successes, but there also is a lot of failures in the process too. And it's knowing how to get through that and navigate through that and being able to help someone and keep your own mental health intact is something that you must pay close attention to as you go through the process. I'm glad you said that. Uh, first and foremost, I'm glad that you was able to overcome those demons. 
you know, I know it's difficult, especially you going back in that in the 60s and 70s where no one was really talking about mental health was something that nobody knew about, let alone talk about. And mm-hmm. and even now, like as we keep moving and evolving as people, you're starting to see people normalize the conversation. And I always tell them that not everybody who goes through a mental health challenge and you know, for, for that, it's one out of five people, which is about 20% that goes to experience a mental health challenge every year. And not everyone is going to have a happy ending. Right. Right. You know, and, and some people lean towards addiction, whether it's, it's whatever substance they decide to choose. And that's why I find it highly important to have this episode and this conversation, because if I can just do my part to just help this one person who's struggling, I feel complete. And I just want to give people hope. And I want them to believe in themselves. So as we shift gears just a little bit, let's talk about the substance abuse of of the numbers ever since the pandemic. I know you told me some amazing numbers and I really can't wait to hear. Well, you know, uh, where we saw the biggest increase uh, during the pandemic uh, is that literally the addiction uh, substance use went up to over 500 percent during the pandemic. And there are a lot of reasons. There's a lot of there's a lot of reasons for that. However, some of the major reasons behind it is that people who were in recovery, we saw a lot of people relapse. And a lot of reasons why that was because there were nowhere for them to meet anymore. I mean, your AA meetings, NA meetings no longer were available in person uh, where you had that belly to belly experience of being able to share with somebody and be able to have that human understanding in their relationships. Now, there were some meetings that, that went online. I knew some people who were very successful with meetings online, but I knew a vast majority who were not. Uh, that I, I heard a story not too long ago where a young man said that, he said, man, he said, I was in my outpatient program and, you know, they had 30 of us on, on Zoom. I would turn my camera off so I can, I, I take I, I take a hit of my, hit, hit, hit of dope and, you know, and that kind of thing and, and what have you, because there was no accountability. You know, the accountability that we needed during that time was not there. So you have more people overdosing and dying. You have more people going and going through the struggles in the process. So when you take away that accountability, that's one of the one things that happened. Uh, I think it was a statistic that came out back in 2017 or 18, where the where literally so substance abuse cost the taxpayers somewhere in the neighborhood of 43 billion dollars. Yeah, it was twenty eighteen. Yeah, and when you start looking at that, um, you you start saying to yourself, "My God, man, it's like you know, do we really realize how big of an epidemic this and how big of an epidemic this is?" And then when you pay, take a pandemic and put it on top of it, it just increases the numbers even more to the point that people aren't getting the help that they need. Uh, so we put ourselves in this position and wonder how can we how can we what can we do what can we do in this situation and it gets it gets hard um uh, i work i work for uh for an intense inpatient treatment center here in minnesota uh one of the one of the top in the five in the five state area and uh and literally we see people we see people come and go all the time uh you'll see a guy who maybe work walk work his way all the way through the program and then to go out and then only to come back 
six months to a year, two years later, you know, and you wonder, you know, you have had to think about what happened, you know, what led you to get back to this place? Because I, and I've always found that fascinating and, and I had to make sure to not judge or, or jade myself in the process. Cause I was, like I said, I was that one and done guy, but people have to understand, man, is that addiction is not a hard, it is a very hard thing to break and it's not easy. Uh, it's a, it's it's about retraining yourself on how to make sure you make the right decisions every day, all day. Yes, yes, no, you're right. When it comes to, I, I find it so much easier when you have someone that can hold you accountable, but you also have that support team. Mm-hmm. Right when those days are rough and you just look, man, I just got to vent to you. Oh, this is what's going on. This is my struggle that makes me want to get that that hit or that that drink. It it makes life a little easier, you know, in that aspect of, of knowing that someone is there in your corner. Uh, you know, when you're struggling, you and you don't have that person that's rooting for you. You you don't find hope in yourself at all. You're just like whatever. I'm just whatever. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's 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 a it's a known statistic that uh, forty to six percent of people that uh, that dabble in substance abuse will always go back to it. However, when a person has has any kind of uh, any kind of support of any kind, the numbers drop dramatically. They drop dramatically because of that support system. And when so you just imagine that now you, we went into a pandemic and nobody's getting the support that they need. You know, nobody's getting the services that they need because they're no longer available due to due to restrictions and that kind of thing. So everything is either uh, delegated online. And some people didn't have the, the mental capacity to handle just online meetings, okay? So they had this, so they went through the consequences, they suffered and, and, and went through all kind of mess because of it. And trying to recapture that now that things open up, a lot of people are having a hard time trying to make that transition again. Yes, yes, yes. I want to ask you, what is some of the signs that someone is addicted to whatever substance? One of the things that uh, that leads to what people can as a telltale sign is that separation. When a person makes the decision to isolate themselves, uh, and it's not normally part of their way of doing things, it's always good to call, check on them, and see how they're doing. Uh, if you're in the presence of a person, all of a sudden they seem to, to be kind of jittery or, or kind of uh, eyes wide open, so to speak, or uh, be at a point where they, where they seem they can't they can't sit still and they're just all over the place. That could also be a telltale sign. Then the obvious signs where you have you know bloodshot eyes and 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 things of that nature. You know those those are those are always good telltale signs. But one of the things that we're that we're seeing now is, uh, when it comes to uh, a telltale sign is that people not understanding you know what what it is they're dealing with and they're just not being able to cope with life right now so you know that's always a good indicator uh when people when people start getting into that position as well but like i said one of the great telltale signs of like i said is when people begin to separate when they begin to isolate when they begin to not reach out or when they begin to just disappear uh this is where that if you have any concern with anybody you want to go ahead and reach out to them and you want to find out hey how's it doing are you doing okay i've heard from you a while you know what's going on 
Uh, so it's always good to it's always good to do that. Now, if you go to the other side of the table where you know somebody who was in substance of substance abuse and maybe they've gotten out of it, if you're looking for telltale signs of when they might go back or have maybe they have gone back, look at patterns of behavior. You know, and then be that person that's that steps up and says to that person, hey, man, you're not yourself today. Tell me, are you getting high? Just be flat out honest with them. Some people think that, you know, when you do that, you you put them into a, a whole stage. But no, sometimes you got to do that. You got to be direct about it. And the more direct you are, the more open they can become. And if they're not open about it, that's also a telltale sign that there's something more going on. Because if they don't have anything to hide, they're not going to be offended by you asking that question. They may be a little taken back, but they won't be offended. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, it's it's very similar to when someone is struggling that's having like suicidal ideation. Like I tell people, just ask them. Based off their answer, yeah. they're going to let you know. And sometimes that's what they mean. Thank you for asking. Yes, I am struggling. I decided to take that hit. I decided to pour that drink. So, mm-hmm. so it's, it's very simple. I always say ask. And when someone does and they tell them, like, I am struggling. I, I started drinking or I started taking this hit of whatever substance. What, what, what advice would you tell them to do next? Then what I would do is that uh, what I think one things I when I coach people who who decide to help somebody through the through the recovery journey, one of the things I tell people is that uh, if you if you are used to dealing with people who struggle with substance abuse, one, two things: one, once you ask them that question, they're struggling. If they admit to struggling, then talk to them about okay, let's look at options. Do you uh, you know you need help? You know you've been down this road before, so we're not gonna say, oh, do you think you need help? No, you know you've been down this road before. Let's get you the help you need. I used to coach people is that if you know you got somebody like that in your life, get a list of treatment centers, get a list of, of, of operations that can actually help them, whether it's inpatient or outpatient or counselor, whatever it is, have something in hand so you can sit there and walk them through making those phone calls. And what I used to always do is that, look, I was like, look, I'm here to support you, but I can't make the call for you. If you want this, you got to do this. This is on you to do, but I am here. I'm going to support you throughout this journey. So you have them make the phone call and call and have the assessment done, have them talk about what it is they're dealing with. And the professional on the other end of the phone can tell them what the best course of action can be in that process. I love it. I love it. Thank you for that. I just, I wanted to make sure people got that. Man, uh, dropped so many gems on this. And I'm glad that you did. Thank you. Thank you. Now the the question that I have for you, along like with helping someone and and when you see them like recovered, right? You see them mm-hmm. learning their recovery journey and they they seem back to normal. Now are you always for someone should they always be weary that they might fall off or should they just sit there and just support as much as possible? You want to be as supportive as possible. I mean, it's, it's, it's statistics show that the average person has to, I mean, this is a startling statistic within itself when you think about it, but the average person who goes through a treatment uh, program relapses seven times before they finally get it right. Now, the scary thing about that is that who's to say they're going to make it seven times, first and foremost. Second thing is, is that who, why do we have to wait to get to that number? 
what can we do to, to what's the best course of action that we can do to help somebody in this process so so from a standpoint of understanding that you are going to be in this person's life if that's what you choose to do then have regular check-ins get together with them once a week for coffee once a month for coffee, whatever it is but have have regular check-ins with them uh one of the things i always talk about is that you know being a person that's in recovery or working with somebody that's in recovery, you got to start finding out what their routine is going to be to maintain their sobriety. What's their game plan? Help them establish a game plan and help them stick to it by keeping them accountable to that actual game plan. So whatever that game plan is, okay, now that you've got this new life of sobriety, what's the game plan to maintain it? And I think a lot of times we realize that what happens is that we short sight ourselves. And what I mean by that is this, is that we think that that uh, that it's all about the sobriety and it's not, it's about recovery. Here's the difference. The difference being is sobriety is literally, is literally just dragging it out without humility. When you talk about when you talk about recovery, recovery is a lifestyle. So if you understand recovery as being a lifestyle, it's not just about trying to maintain your sobriety. It's about thriving in life. What's next on the agenda? Are you going back to school to get that GED or get that degree? Are you going to start that business? What's next or down the road for your life? One of the great stories that I love is a young man who, who was in, who literally was incarcerated. He was in prison for a number of years, but he always wanted to be a heavy equipment operator. But one of the things he had to do is he had to complete drug treatment center, drug treatment program that was like 13 months long. And in this process, he literally, uh, I made up his mind he was going to be a heavy equipment operator because of his felonies. It was always hard for him to get a job actually doing it. But after he finished treatment and before he finished treatment, he saw it before he saw it before he saw it before he actually attained it. So what he did when he got into treatment, he got a picture of a bulldozer and put it above his bed. So he saw it every single night and he made that his number one priority. He knew this was going to be his ticket in order to get his son back in his life, the whole nine yards. So when he finished, he went through a program, I think eight to eight, well, eight to 16 weeks long program where he learned how to do heavy equipment operation and that kind of thing. However, when he finished the program, the only jobs he could ever get was kind of what they call grunt work when it comes to construction workers. And so he never got that opportunity until one day, uh, a guy didn't show up to drive the bulldozer. He kept telling the boss he could, he could, and need to get this project done. He was he wasn't unionized to be able to drive it, but they took the risk anyway. And he got on that thing and he killed it. I mean, he did a great job, and he did such a good job that he continued in, in that process. He got hired on other jobs driving bulldozers, and then he went back and started teaching other young kids on how to drive bulldozers the process as well. You know, that's what I'm talking about. What's next in the journey? Okay, now I've got this new life in sobriety. What's next? What value am I gonna add to my life? So now I'm not just living in sobriety, but now I'm building a recovery lifestyle. Now I love it, powerful story. It's important to have a vision board. Even for myself, I'm in my office now and I have three vision boards up, right? One is a, what I'm gonna achieve this year, what I'm going to achieve in the next three years and five years. And I think it's mm -hmm. important because if you don't see it, how can you achieve it? That's you know? right. So I really find it highly important. And I, even when I work with people, my clients and I tell them, Hey, you might want to have a vision board and they don't understand the importance of 
planning. I'm glad that you you said that. Um, before we wrap this up, if there's someone that's listening to this and struggling, what would you tell them? When you start, when you start feeling like there's that you're hopeless, or you feel like there's no hope, always understand is that you are one decision, one decision from turning this thing around. And it's all in reaching out. Find somebody that you can reach out to. Nine times out of ten, you already know who that person is or people are. Find somebody you can reach out to. Don't. If you're sitting there listening and you're going like, I don't know what to do with myself, make that decision to, to do something. Make that decision. Whether you're worried to reach out to Herbie or reach out to an organization, reach out to somebody. Let them know you're struggling so they can get you the right information in your hand to get the help you need. See, because when you go isolate, when you isolate, when you don't communicate, nobody can help you. Okay? And you got to put yourself in a position where you can reach out and get the help you need. Uh, it's not easy. But it's, that's what it first. That's what the first step of bravery starts for the new change in your life. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate that. Before we go, please tell the audience where to find you. Uh, you can find me at www.daryl.com. Uh, com. Sorry about that. You can always find find me there. I have uh, I have uh, two motivational. Uh, I have a YouTube channel called Motivation to Recovery. It's for people who actually are in recovery but need to have get into a place where they need to stay motivated on a regular basis. How that came about was that back in 2012, a friend of mine were talking to me. We were talking it's like, how come we see all these people relapse, uh, all these people falling off and going back to using again. So I went on a journey. I sat down and had a coffee, had coffee with about 20 recovering addicts. I'm sorry, I'm going to rephrase that. Close to 100 recovering addicts. And in a three-year period, and, and I sat down with ones who were, who were very successful and the ones who weren't very successful at all. And what the difference in the two was astonishing. The ones who were not successful focused only on their sobriety. They focused only on trying to stay sober. And it became so much either boring or mundane, or it got to the point where it was like it drove them, it drove them literally batty to, to just focus on that and not have something more in their life. However, the ones who focused on the fact of building a life, which is a life of recovery, and they begin to add value to the life, whether they, like I went talked about before, getting that degree or GED and starting that business. The people who did that had significant success in their recovery program. They didn't stop going to meetings. They didn't start going to stop going to the support groups. They kept going doing the things they do, but they added to it. And that hurt me. That's one of the the, the things that most people in, in recovery don't understand. They think you can only focus on that one thing so you don't fall off. No, you can do more than that. Okay, Einstein says we only use literally 10% of our brain, which means you got 90% to play with. You can do more than just sitting there and just focus on not trying to, not trying to use. Part of your sobriety is understanding is that you can do more, which leads to your recovery. Okay, but when you start doing more, you start realizing that recovery becomes the byproduct and not the norm. Thank you. Thank you. It becomes the byproduct, which means it becomes automatic part of your actual DNA. Yes. Because you're focusing on building you as a whole person. Okay. 
what I'll, if you don't mind, I'll share one story and close. Yeah, yeah. That's there, cool. was, there was a young lady that I ran into a number of years ago, and I knew her when she was in treatment, and when she was in a bad way. I remember her story when she told me her success. I remember it nearly took me back to her story. I remember when she was in a intense inpatient, inpatient treatment. She didn't have a whole lot of skills, but one of the things she always wanted to do is she wanted to write and have a poem published. She wanted to be a published poet. And when she got out of treatment, that was her focus. She still didn't mean to do what she needed to do in order to make sure she could maintain, you know, walking in that, that new lifestyle. But she, that was a passion of hers. So she started asking questions. Where can I get my point published? Well, people didn't know where to point it to, but they told her about this, this organization where they, where they literally, they're a playhouse. So she didn't know what else to do. So she went over there and just got a chance to talk to somebody and tell her story. And they told her, you know what? We have a, a monthly newsletter that we send out to the neighborhood about plays and stuff that we have coming up. You know what? Let's 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 change it. Let's put a little something that we'll, let's publish a couple of poems in there. And they did. And when they published a couple of her poems, people in the neighborhood started writing in and talking about how much they really appreciated her. They made her part of their writing team. And one of the things that they did is they wrote they wrote a play about her story about her story. That's incredible. Okay, and, and that's what I'm talking about. You don't know the gifts and talents that we have on the inside of us. A lot of it is covered up by our addiction. And because it's covered by our addiction, we never get the opportunity to shine the way we've been had the opportunity to. So that's why it's so important to realize it's not about walking in sobriety, it's about walking a recovery, it's about walking a recovery lifestyle. Thank you. Thank you. So in that process, like I said, that when we when I asked this question, what caused me to start my business literally was that I was like, you know, people when I found out and I did that, I sat down with those hundred recovering addicts. I realized the fact that the ones that were successful made the decision to be successful. The ones who who didn't just focused on sobriety. So I said, you know what? I want to help people stay focused on be staying motivated. So I came up with a lecture series called Motivation to Recovery. I started sharing it at the treatment center I worked at. They wanted me, then all of a sudden my director, he wanted me to do more of them. And then I started sharing them with other treatment centers. They started finding out about them. And I started sharing it with more and more and more. And then somebody actually came back and told me you should be on YouTube. I said, I don't even know anything about YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and he, so he, he decided to produce the first 25, the first 25 videos I did. Then he took off. I Then I, I put it on, uh, on pause for a minute. I came back two years later stronger than ever and now i have like close to i think i'm at 100 videos now of different videos that people can watch to stay motivated through the recovery process you know we all have moments where we feel down we all have moments where we feel like we don't want to do it but here's the key if you have something you can turn into to motivate you and get you going you know that's going to take you another step closer to the success you desire yes thank you for that i appreciate that Ladies and gentlemen, this was an episode of the Dress Believe podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you once again, Daryl. I appreciate this. Herbie, thank you again, man. God bless you and the work you're doing. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Peace, y'all. 
that was today's episode of the just believe show i'm hoping that you enjoyed it i want you to leave a review mainly five stars that would be nice but if not it's all good i won't deem you a hater but don't forget to celebrate your small wins because small wins are still wins until then i'll see you next week peace